0: The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led his people into the promised land. Though they continue to display a lack of faith in God, he remained faithful to the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Now, Father, we know, according to your word, that these words have been recorded for our benefit, for for the fullness of time for Christians. After The scriptures were fulfilled with Jesus coming and his life and death and resurrection on our behalf. The giving of the Holy Spirit and life in the Christian church. These truths found here in Joshua chapter 6 are meant to uh, inspire us with insights on who you are and who we are in your plan. So help us, Lord, tonight, especially those who are facing Uh, Tall walls and locked doors, because your people come to a place where they just hear from you, they listen, they receive, and they act in obedience, and the walls come tumbling down. So help everybody who's struggling with a barred gate or a hindrance of any kind to, to pay special attention to the Holy Spirit in your whispering, in your enlightening our hearts. Through this word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I have mentioned, we have been studying ancient history of sorts. Uh, it, the writings or the um, actual Exodus is dated in the conquest of Canaan at about 1400 B.C. And so uh, we have... Uh, Ancient history here 3,400 years ago, but ancient history with a twist because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these truths really are foreshadows and uh, prophetic insights of um, the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus, um, the salvation that we have in him, um, the Christian life, the church, and really the end of the world. And so we've been studying here um, the Old Testament people of God, uh, their deliverance from bondage, their journey through the wilderness of faith there, and now their ultimate conquest. They acquire the land that God has given them, the promised land. And now we are going to gain invaluable insights about us, the New Testament people of God, so here in Joshua 6, um, it's a famous chapter, Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. And I put battle in quotation marks in the air because, of course, it's more of a conquest. It's already a done deal. The Lord already said, I have given you this land, and I have given you the king and the soldiers of this land. It's already in past tense. It's a done deal. All they have to do is trust and obey and um they will be blessed and they will inherit what God has for them and it's kind of the way it is for us today it's very simple but hard <laughs> it's simple in theory and it's hard to live out sometimes and so here we are now tonight as i said that these chapters are telling us something about our christian experience and so tonight there are two real great Christian truths that I want to kind of overlay the text so that you can kind of be thinking this of this, not in terms of ancient history, but in terms of how does this relate to my inheriting what God has for me behind those barred walls. And so, first of all, the two great truths, one of them that Joshua 6 is foreshadowing is the is the 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 call to fight the good fight first timothy chapter one and several other places paul talks about uh this fight that we're in to subdue our own hearts um, to not be conformed to the world to resist the devil and so in those three breaths i just took it's the world and the flesh we call it our sinful nature and the devil—those things that we fight against. Um, Paul is saying in Philippians chapter two and verse twelve that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. We have to fight. We have to work. That's not just saying the sinner's prayer. And phew, that was a close call, and that's all I have to do is just say the sinner's prayer. But instead of seeing the sinner's prayer as like, you know, you've made it and you've crossed the finish line, you should see the sinner's prayer as really a runner starting block and hear the pistol sing, Now, run. It's time to work. It's time to run. Um, You can't gain your salvation, but you can work it out So that you must do something to make those walls go down for you to be able to enjoy what God has for you. And the walls that uh, come against us are in the forms of the world, our own sinful nature, and the evil one, and his myriad of spiritual hosts there against us. Now, the second great truth that Joshua 6 tonight is going to foreshadow is the end of the world. This is a picture... Of Armageddon. This is a picture, a prophetic picture of the lost soul who resists and resists and resists and then dies in their sins and perishes. The Canaanites are a picture of souls perishing because they have shut the door to God's grace and God's truth, and therefore they are shut out of his presence in return. So I want you to see that picture because it's a frightening picture and it's very serious and sobering. In one, on one hand, it's the deliverance of God's people and it's uh, God giving a shout out and, and it's a great day of joyous celebration for the people of God. And it's a very sobering day of all of the bloodshed that's going to happen. But you will not have, even with the end of the world... And the millennial kingdom, the life to come for all of us, cannot and does not happen without all hell breaking loose. And so this is a very nice, succinct picture of the deliverance of God's people, the blessing of fighting and inheriting what God has for us, and then, unfortunately, the judgment on the wicked. You will see that tonight as we look into God's word You know, that's not a very uh, fun thing to talk about, but um, it's necessary because it's a reality that you can't escape in God's word. So, uh, interesting, there's a seven-year process. This is the beginning of seven years of conquering Canaan. Interesting, at the end of the world, culminates in a seven-year process process called the great tribulation interesting the numbers of times you will hear seven tonight the number of completion the number of god's perfect fullness he's saying i'm done canaanites it's over game over today and that day comes For everybody, it is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. And after that, done. So we're going to take a look at that. Joshua chapter 6. Ready? 1 through 27. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho, E.D., already done. I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city, once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant Of the Lord, and have seven priests carry seven trumpets, of course, in front of it. And he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, Circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, and did I mention it's the seventh month? It's the seventh month on the seventh day, now seven times on the seventh day. Just there's, I think he's trying to say something, uh, and we're going to talk about that. On the seventh day, they got up, at daybreak and marched around the city 7 times in the same manner except that on that day they circled the city 7 times the 7th time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast Joshua commanded the people shout for the lord has given you the city the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the lord only rahab the prostitute who repented And all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, the King James has that word better, it's accursed things, devoted unto their pagan practices, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything living in it, men men, and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her, So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. In other words, Joshua was written in the time of Joshua, not centuries later by somebody else piecing together a puzzle like liberal theologians might suggest. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, will he lay its foundations? At the cost of his youngest, will he set up its gates? So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. All right. The battle of Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. Well, the narrative is pretty straightforward. In fact, I mean, from uh, verses 2 through 5, you really have the Lord's instruction to his people. Um, And then you just basically have after that, from 6 to verse 19, you have the compliance of what the Lord just asked them to do. I want to just kind of pull out some um, application, some spiritual application, some truths for us to draw some conclusions about our own walks with the Lord before barred walls. Number one, a strategy doomed to always fail. Verse one, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of all the Israelites. No one went out or and no one came in. Now, The Hebrew here is really very strong, and it's really the Holy Spirit wants to make a point of how bottled up and how barred shut that place was. In fact, in the Hebrew, it kind of says it was locked from the inside and the outside. There was just total lockout, all right? Paralyzed by fear, their fear is justifiable, I would say. They've heard for years about these people of God uh, coming with a miraculous power. Uh, You remember what Rahab said in Joshua chapter 2. When we heard of all of these reports, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above And on earth below, a prostitute figured that out. that Who could dry up the Red Sea and who could steamroll the armies of these two kings of the Amorites and the king of Bashan on the east of the Jordan River? They heard all of that, but though their fear is justifiable, their response is not. What is their response? Shutters closed, gates barred. Lights off and a big sign, nobody's home. Now they're hardened their hearts to the truth of God. God has given creation to them to know that there's a God. God has given these people consciences, they're human beings behind the wall, and they have heard the gospel of this God who does miraculous deeds, He can dry up a sea. And the river Jordan and steamroller over kings. And you have the most powerful armies of the, of the then known world. Pharaoh and his chariots and the wheels of his chariots. And the horses and the soldiers and the mighty warriors belly up. Floating to shore. Because they stood in the way of Yahweh. They've heard. What's their response? Shut out. Not ready. Not willing. Not even a crack of light, nothing done, not interested. Don't want to negotiate, not an inch of movement toward. This is precursor to eternal damnation. For everybody who shuts the door like that, to truth and to conscience, to reason, to the, the wooing of the Holy Spirit, when you lock the door, he's a perfect gentleman. It's locked on the inside and outside. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock, and he who hears my voice and opens the door. This is the whole thing. It's not just the coincidence that the Holy Spirit says they get there and the place is dead. Just stone cold dead. After all of 400 years of the Holy Spirit working with these really pagan people doing the most sinful, blasphemous things, I can't even tell you about what I read in commentaries, what goes on behind those doors. No conscience, no turning, no flag of surrender, no let's cut a deal, not even an inch. And that's what really what the Holy Spirit wants you to see here tonight. Luke chapter 8 records a parable of Jesus, the four kinds of soil, so the heart. And he says, You know, uh, he likens the gospel, the word of God that gives life and saves people to seed. And Jesus, God, the Lord, sowing that seed in the hearts of men of old and of today. And he says, You know, some seed falls on rock, on the path, hardened. There's no penetration. The doors are closed. No. No to conscience. No to creation. No to Christian testimony. No to common sense. (laughs) No to the Holy Spirit. No to the word of God. No to prophecy in the word. No, no, no. Shut out the truth and then In first Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse nine, they are in turn. Here's the same word, shut out from the presence. Did he shut them out? He's saying no. They, by the rejection of the truth, shut themselves out. So, you know, it's a strategy doomed to always fail. Whenever I feel like I know something that's true, and I start to harden my heart. I really see that as a very serious problem because it ends with such tragedy, Christian or not, hardening our hearts. Well, let me just close this idea with a great quote I read. Um, These closed, shut up doors, such a fitting picture after 400 years of the Holy Spirit's patient wooing, after 40 years of testimony after testimony of God's wondrous acts on Israel's behalf, now seven days prior to God's wrath falling on their heads, they are tightly closed, not a crack of light, not an inch of movement toward God, nothing. After everything has been said and done, they've made their decision to shut it all out, and now they will be shut out from the blessing of what could have been theirs if they had just cracked the door open an inch. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of stubbornness and unrepented hearts, they are storing up wrath against themselves for the day of God's wrath. And so how fitting also is the only ones who are saved are on the other side of a window, an open window open enough to get a scarlet cord out. You see, there were ears to hear. There was an openness. And there you have it with her window. Uh, Verse 2, and really we're going to sum up now verses 2 through 5 and 6 through 19. So uh, number 2, then I would call a strategy designed to succeed. So what does God tell them? You know, it's pretty... It's almost funny. I mean, he's saying, okay, here's the strategy, guys. For six consecutive days, take some armed men and uh, march silently around the city one time. And then take the Ark of the Covenant, of course, and seven priests will lead the way and blow this shofar, this ram's horn. Now, on day one, you do it. Day two, day three. Day four, day five, day six. But on day seven, there's something else going on. On the seventh day, the seven priests with seven trumpets, seven times in circle around, and then one big hallelujah and blow. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> and down it'll go. You just shout, and then it'll go down like that. Well, first of all, marching orders... Um, from the Lord is a way your strategy will always succeed. And we've talked a lot about that. Um, listen, here's the key to seeing the walls come tumbling down. Uh, number one, get your marching orders and your strategies from God. Who, who are you? You don't know. You don't have the ability. Uh, you don't have the strength. But God will tell you how those walls can come tumbling down. In last chapter, uh, the Lord himself met with Joshua and told him and gave him this plan. And said, i got a plan for you. It's going to blow your mind, but it's going to require a lot of faith. And that's what I like to see. Proverbs 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So the key is of hearing from him and doing what he says. Um, J. Hudson Taylor, a great man of God, most of you know that name. He was a British missionary in the 1800s to China. He established the China Inland Mission. At his death, there were 205 mission stations in China with 800 missionaries and 125,000 Christians. Chinese christians who were associated with that work now here's what he said there are three different ways to serve the lord one to make the best plans we can and hope they succeed two to make our own plans and ask god to bless them and three to ask god for his plans and then do what he tells us to do joshua received instructions from the Lord, and now he's put them into practice, and the walls have come tumbling down. Ask, receive, obey. All right, so first of all, there are marching orders that come from God that make a strategy successful, and secondly, there are marching orders that will require faith, not exactly a military strategy to tell him, you know, we're going to do a lot of parading in the next few days. We're just going to circle around the place. Uh, no talking, no shouting, no weaponry. Just, just march around, and then at the end, shout, and it'll <laughs> happen for you. Uh, that's kind of amazing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them seven days. And so God gives us strategies to bring down the walls that require you to have faith in this day and in and in the days to follow, always. He's always the same, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you know, God's strategies require faith. My friend, we've been talking about that on Sunday morning because to demolish strongholds, spiritual strongholds, often require strategies that are contrary to our natural inclinations. And we talked about this Sunday, you know, to respond in the opposite spirit. When you're being aggressed, to bless and not curse. They curse you, you bless back. Uh, they ask you to go one mile, you go two. Someone takes your shirt, you give them the jacket as well. Someone insults you here, you turn to him the other opportunity. Uh, that all requires faith. The same faith that doesn't make sense, the same plans, I should say, that make no sense and that gets the original head scratch from the people of God there in Joshua 6. What are you talking about? We've got to take a city And you're forming a parade around, march around once, march around twice, and then seven times. What's the seven times about? No questions. They said, this is the God who dried up the Red Sea, who's a pillar by fire at night, cloud by day. Our sandals didn't wear out. We woke up in the morning. There was bread on the ground. When there was no water, he strikes a rock. This is the God. We can trust him. When it doesn't make sense, and when it doesn't make sense, when he says, love your enemy, if he's hungry, feed him. Does that make sense to any rational human sinner? No. But it works. And so we see it just here once again. And so, you know, to live we die. To receive, we give. To find ourselves, we lose ourselves. For his sake. So, God's bizarre plans really to encircle the city without military force, silently march, blow the trumpets, circle seven times and blow, required a lot of faith. Well, I've got a few little insights here from what is God doing here with all of this marching about, and what, what can we get from that? Number one, he's saying, I hear him saying, work with me. I want you involved with me, but I want you to see it couldn't possibly have happened by your efforts. I want your involvement, like Jesus always having the disciples kind of involved in the miracle, but that's where it ends, you see? So, for example, uh, with the feeding of the 5,000, he has the disciples bring the lunch. He has them sit in rows of 50s and 100s. He has them disperse the bread, but everybody knows who filled the baskets. And so God is the same way. He wants to involve us always, but he wants us to understand who it is that brings the power. So the first thing I see in all of this, he wants them to do something, but it can't be anything that will mistakenly give them the idea that maybe we had something to do with the walls falling down. So let's see. What could you do where nobody could say, you know what? Maybe it was us. Well, just walk around the place. <laughs> walk around um, six days. And then on the seventh day, circle seven times. And then go, hallelujah. You're working with me. You're obeying me. You're part of my plan. But it's real obvious that it had nothing to do with you. And that's often what I see. You know, it's, I've used this before, the kid, kids on daddy's lap driving. You know, I used to do that in parking lots with the kids, with them on my lap and let them drive, and they'd come home and say, Mommy, guess what I did? I drove home all the way. And, whoops, did I say that? I let them drive out of the parking lot? Just down one cul-de-sac. And mommy says, of course you did. You know, they didn't drive. Daddy was driving. But they're involved. And that's kind of what I see happening. The second thing I see in all of this is God saying, lean on me. I want you to see what's, what's up with every day. I want you to get a good look. So you're going to get 14, 13 times around. I want you to check it out, how tall and high and thick and wide I want you to really be sure, you know, that you're not going to say, well, what was it about to, to break down anyway? I want you to be really convinced that apart from me, you can't do a thing here. You need to get to that place, my friend, that you realize it's not going to be a magic word that you have or one, one more bit of effort or, or any ingenuity on your part. He wants them to see. That's what makes sense of this thing. Do you get it the first time? Inspect it the second time. How about on the third day? Uh, Go around again. Look at how high it is. Look, do you see any cracks? No, there are no cracks. Do you see any windows open? Nope, nope. Thirteen times around, then they're convinced. You know what? (laughs) This is one sturdy barrier, and it's not coming down by our efforts. And so I think lean on me is the second key thing that he's asking The third thing that I see with the silence, he says, don't say a word the whole time. All I want is the blare and blast of the trumpet sound. Now, what about the silence? That's verse 10. No speaking, no cheering, no jeering, no chattering, nothing. Why? It's a sad day for God. It's a grievous day. For God in heaven. He says be prayerful. A sober reflection on the judgment that's coming. There are women and children and cattle behind those walls. He says just be quiet. Grieve with me. That's what I hear him saying in the silence. Grieve with me. Ezekiel chapter 18, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when people turn from their wicked ways and live? It's not happy. It's not a happy day. He says, Shh, don't speak. Think about what's about to happen to these people. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. Proverbs 24, verse 17 so work with me, lean on me, grieve with me, and hope with me. For me, the, the, the greatest explanation of why this parade, 13 times around, is not for Israel's sake, but it's for the people on the other side of the wall. Hope with me, people, that as you don't speak, and as the tension and the awe and perhaps the horror of what's about to happen to them as they realize, who are they? What are they doing? Here they are, and all they're doing is walking silently around us. Day one, day two, and all they hear is this dreadful ram's horn, blown. Day one, get ready. Day two, repent. Bow that knee, change your mind, open a window, open the door, come on out, negotiate. Day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And on day seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If that didn't cause somebody outside of Rahab's little compartment to bend the knee to cry out, in utter fear and desperation to the living God. That, my friend, will explain it to me. It's not about Israel. It's about the people he loves dearly behind those walls, saying, come to me. Come to me. The goal is repentance. You know, there may not be time left for them to spare their lives, but there is time to save their souls. It's the same way once the church is removed and all hell breaks loose here. To avoid taking the mark of the beast, they will lose their lives because they cannot buy or sell and they will be beheaded. The same way. Perhaps you can't spare your life by turning at the last second at those blasts that will come But God's still open. He's saying, I'm still open, even though you're going to probably lose your life, but you will gain your own soul if you just turn. I see just the Lord being slow in keeping his promise, not being slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So they were really wicked. Do you want to hear what Deuteronomy says about them? When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, don't learn to imitate those detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter. in the fire, like they do, they threw their, their kids into the fire. is worshiping Molech, their God. Who practices divination and sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, and who is a medium or a spiritualist or consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You just heard why God is driving them out because of that kind of wickedness. But he's saying repent, repent. And then finally... I hear the Lord saying through all of these um, verses, honor me. Shouts go up, the walls come down, the people of God go in. So let's just consider verses 20 to the end of the chapter. Um, I really see just four quick anchors when God gives you victory. All right, so Joshua gives them four instructions. Now the walls are down, they're going in. There are four quick things to remember because sometimes in victory there's a booby trap. You're going to watch yourself not only when you're under the gun but when you're blessed because you tend to get careless when you're blessed. And so first in verse 17 he says, remember who this is all about. So the city is devoted to the Lord. Um, This is God's battle. Don't go running in there Mine, 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 mine. This isn't about advancing you and your causes. So he has to remind them, number one, when you're going in there, devote the silver and the gold and the valuable things you find. Now, sometimes when Israel goes to war, they get to keep the plunder. This time he's saying, this is kind of a key city. It kind of represents the whole deal. Um, The valuable things you come upon, this is my fight. This is my war against Satan. You are involved, but this is about me. This isn't to advance your causes. Don't go in there and say, oh, the the Lord caused it all to come down so to increase my own personal wealth. God is saying, no, that can come into the treasury of the temple of the Lord and to be used for ministry and worship and for God's purposes. Um, So that's number one. Remember who this is all about. The city is devoted to the Lord. Secondly, uh, they have to keep their promise to Rahab. So he says, remember what it's all about, saving souls. So he reminds them in a couple paragraphs, really, a lot of verses that says, now you go get Rahab. And she wasn't hard to find because the only part of the wall that didn't fall was her house. And so they go and they get her. Now, why do they have to be told so many times, go and get the prostitute, bring her and the family out? Why? Because after it's said and done, there you get this, when God is working on your behalf, you can get a, kind of a high horse feeling. We're better than them. And she was a prostitute. What are we saving them for? Yeah, we kind of said we would, but you know what? You know... He says, go get them, keep your promise. Honor me by keeping your promise. Uh, You don't get to say who's saved and who gets the patience of God and who should be shown the mercy of God. And that's a reminder to all of us. Sometimes, you know, we get saved and then we get sanctified and then we just turn up our holy noses at anybody who cusses or lives a life of sin. And so he says, Oh, oh no, this is about Rahab and her family, and they're dear to me. They've repented. They still kind of smell of that whole thing. Yeah? Go get them. They're saved. They're equal heirs, as far as God is concerned, as the Jews. I was in the gym, and there was a, a man working out next to me, talking to his buddy, and I call him Mr. Pitbull, because he was talking about pitbulls. I have never heard somebody able to blaspheme in one sentence, so many different ways. Um, at first, I was very much just wanted to, to leave the whole area because I was so grieved. And then I, I stayed there, and I started to pray for him. And the Lord just opened my heart. I, I felt like I saw him as a little boy and what he had been through in his life and how nobody loves him and nobody's praying for him, probably. I may be the only person praying for him. And I started to get a burden for this blasphemer. <laughs> and my heart changed knowing what's coming to them behind the wall and that we have the message that can unlock that destiny of theirs is something that we need to grapple with and to embrace. If I, with the answer, get offended and move to the upstairs part of the gym to avoid being um, defiled by this godless pagan Canaanite, If I go away, and I have the answer, and I am the one with the answer near him, what hope does he have? So he says, love on Rahab. You go get them. Don't you be thinking, oh, now God is against them, and we're better than them. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And then number three, verse 18, watch out for the booby traps. He says, now there are things that they do there and things like golden Ouija boards and little uh, amulets and books and things that uh, you might take into your own lives. Watch that lest you bring trouble to your own heart and life. When God blesses us and the walls come down and we go in, folks, just watch out. They're booby traps. Materialism, idolatry isn't the same but it takes on different forms. So just watch out in this life for sensuality, entertainment, compromises, and all kinds of worldliness. Friendship with the world means being an enemy of God. Watch out for the booby trap. So he says, verse 18, stay away from those detestable things. When I give you the victory, watch out. And finally, he says, let the whole place burn, fire. And then he says, "I want it to stay charred forever. I don't, don't. You will die, or your son will die, if you ever try to rebuild this. This is going to be a symbol of the end of the world and perishing with fire. Sodom and Gomorrah was, as Jude tells us, or Second Peter tells us, that Sodom and Gomorrah there was raining down of fire and judgment upon them." As an, uh, as an example of the eternal fire which will consume the enemies of God. It's an example, a living example. And the fire that, that is torched there is an example of what waits for all of those who shut the door to God's truth and to his grace. You know, hell is described as a furnace. Matthew 13, Jesus Talks about it in Matthew 25. John calls it a lake of fire. In Revelation chapters 19. And 20. Luke chapter 16. We have a story about a man who perishes. Who says he's in agony in this flame. And so. There you have it. And for me. The fact that he doesn't want it rebuilt. And that it goes down in flames. Is just. Motivation for the people of God to care about people. Charles Spurgeon said, Yes, there's a hell, and no, do I understand it? But I know there is one. Uh, Or why would Jesus allow that cross to happen if there wasn't a horrible destiny for those who reject God and His truth? But he said, Yes, there is a hell, but let anyone who go there, let them have to leapfrog over our broken, battered bodies on their behalf. If anybody's going to perish in my sphere of influence, they're going to perish having had every possible prayer and every possible argument. They will have seen me cry in their face. They will have seen me on my knees for them. The reality of what waits for those who shut out God is horrifying, and it should motivate us. I want to be a church that really cares about people's souls. I don't want to be distracted with stupid stuff all day long to where I forget the whole point is to rescue Rahab out of there and see Rahab become Mary into royalty and Rahab, the, the town prostitute, the, the Canaanite of Canaanites, then marries Salmon, Salmon there and uh, becomes an ancestress to King David and to Jesus Christ, as we have already covered. And so, you know, Mr. Pitbull, who is he? Is he royalty? Is he going to be at the royal wedding? Is he going to have a place there? He may be. He's just disguised as this pagan blasphemer. Any different than Rahab? Rahab's more repugnant to me than Mr. Pitbull of what she was doing. Only God knows what this man does. So the way we think about people and their destinies. I can't go anywhere, anywhere in public and not think heaven or hell when I meet somebody. I just can't, because there's only two options. There's only two places. And I want to be a church that cares about that. Let's pray. So, Father, we just kind of milked chapter 6 for the spiritual applications for us today. And just, yes, on one hand, we're so happy to know that uh, the walls come tumbling down you will come to our aid and that the good guys the, the, the ones who know you will prevail in the end and you will return the shout of victory That we're encouraged by that but we're sobered Father God by the folks who are shutting you out and, and we know them they, they sit at our dinner tables they look like us because they're related to us and we care about them. Father, just stir up that compassion. Remind us of the realities that Satan loves to distract us from. Help us be at our Father's business and not get so uh, distracted that we're no good to you, Lord. So we dedicate this um, message to you in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.